The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you have a Bible with you, please turn to Mark chapter 7. Uh, We're going to continue today in our series. Uh, It's called Servant King. We're going verse by verse through the book of Mark. Today we we bust into uh, Mark 7. And uh, if you don't have a a Bible or an app with you, we will have the words on the screens. If you don't own a Bible, please let us know that. One of our favorite things to do is give Bibles away for free. Okay, so we have those here for you. Um, We're going to read verses 1 through 23 together. And uh, we, got, we got work to do today. I know I say that a lot, but it's, you know, it's always true to some degree, but it's real true today. So we're going to have to buckle up, all right? Mark 7, 1 through 23. Here we go. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, The people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the traditions of men. He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is korban, that is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. After he called the crowd to him again, He begins saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable and said, and he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it goes, it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Praise God for his word. Amen. I just want to say, keep in mind the tone of Jesus here, and just remember that as we move through this, okay? This was was not a happy, clappy situation right here, okay? So, I'm not angry, but (laughs) I am preaching these verses, all right? 
two thumbs up. So, first of all, what, all right, what is going on here? We need, I think we need a little contextual help, probably. So, because I can see some of you potentially sitting here right now siding with the Pharisees, like, yeah, the disciples are nasty. Why are they eating without washing their hands, right? Especially in, in the days of COVID. I mean, we've all got real good at washing our hands. So what is, what is the deal here, and, and why are the disciples eating with nasty hands? Well, that's not, not actually what it means, okay? So their, their hands weren't necessarily filthy. Just what the Pharisees observed was that they had not done the ceremonial washing. This really had nothing to do with the removal of dirt. It had to do with the oral tradition that there was certain water in these stone pots and you were supposed to take it and it, it would run from your fingers down to your forearm and then back and forth. There was, a, there was a very specific procedure in what that was supposed to do. It was a ceremonial cleansing. And, and, and the original idea, it hearkened from the written word of God, right? Because God did say that the, that the priests, uh, before they would enter into the tabernacle, there were certain washings that they needed to do to come before the presence of God and be clean, right? So it started that way, but then it, what had happened is there's this snowball effect where men tend to add on to these traditions and then enshrine them, and that's where it becomes a problem, and, and we know that this wasn't, uh, this, that's not an inference, okay, that this had become a problem. Uh, some of the reality of that was written into some of the Jewish tradition of the day. There's a rabbi named Eleazar, and he said this, He who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition, what does that mean? He who expounds the scriptures in opposition to the tradition. So he that explains what the written word of God means in opposition to the oral tradition, so this is what they had come along and added, has no share in the world to come. Everyone understand why that's a problem? What they're saying is, if you say that what the Bible's saying disagrees with what the rabbis have now said, right? There's no way you belong to God. All right? That's problematic. You don't seem that bothered by it. I'm real bothered by it. I wish you'd get more bothered by it. Are you bothered? Okay, two of you, good. It's rainy, I get it. The Mishnah is a collection of Jewish traditions in the Talmud. It records this. It's a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbis than to contradict Scripture itself. And there were several ordinary sayings among the Jews of the time. It shows in what esteem they had these traditions. It says... As if the, this is one of the sayings that was common among them. If the scribes say our right hand is our left and our left hand is our right, we are to believe them. And there is more in the words of the scribes than the words of the law. The Jewish rabbi Jose said this, He sinneth as much as who eateth with unwashed hands as he that lieth with a harlot. Okay, there was some old English in there. What is he saying? He's saying, if you do what the disciples did here and eat without ceremonially washing your hands, it's as sinful as laying with a harlot. That was, that was one of the rabbinical teachings of the day. Okay, so this is, this is the, the lens with which the Pharisees are coming to this situation, and this is what Jesus is responding to. Okay? And this is why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus, because by... By not making his disciples adhere to the oral traditions, which were added onto the written law, the word of God, what Jesus was doing was upending the sinful inversion that had taken place between the law of God and the traditions of men. And in so doing, would erode the authority that these 
holy men over time had built up for themselves with the oral tradition and their sense of self-righteousness that came from adhering to it, which in their own minds elevated them above everyone else, right? Uh, this, this whole scene right here with, with Jesus and the Pharisees, um, you know, keep, keep in mind too that it, it tells us this was another set of Pharisees sent down from Jerusalem to kind of check on the ministry of Jesus. See, what is going on here? Is this guy crazy? Is he from God? And so they're doing what they were sent to do. They just, they're just looking with the wrong lens, okay? But this, this whole scene in, in Mark 7, Jesus dealing with the Pharisees and they're back and forth here, it, it reminds me of a, of a scene in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. And, and I'm not sure if Lewis had these scriptures in mind when he wrote that scene, but he very possibly could have. If you're not familiar with kind of what's going on in the Chronicles of Narnia, the, the, the 10,000 mile view is you, you've, you've got this land, there's a lion, his name is Aslan, he's a Christ figure, right? So that's kind of how Lewis wrote him in, so he represents Jesus. And then the, the, the evil person is a, a witch, and, and, and uh, basically she comes to Aslan in, in one scene and and one of the, the three, or one of the four children that had come into Narnia had, had betrayed the, the armies of Aslan and, and had basically given information to the witch. And so the witch comes and is saying to Aslan, because written into the law, right, they, they call it the deep magic. It's, it's a, I know, you're like, <laughs> if, you're, if you haven't read it, you're like, okay, buddy. They're really good books, okay? So if you haven't read them, go read them. But anyways, um, <laughs> it's like the 70th anniversary to just just happened. So th- these are important works. I, I'm serious. I sounded like maybe I was joking. I'm serious. If you haven't read them, I, I, would, I would suggest it. But anyways, la da da, enough of a Lewis plug. But the point here is there's this deep magic that's kind of the ruling, binding rules over Narnia. And so the witch comes to Aslan and she's, she says, you have a traitor in your midst, uh, this boy Edward. And she starts to tell him that now, according to the, the law of Narnia, that uh, that she, you know, his blood now belongs to her because he's a traitor. So now she, she has claim to him. And as she's, she's kind of uh, explaining this to Aslan, there's this point where he lets out a roar and he says, don't cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Woo, buddy, that'll make the hairs, the little short hairs on the back of your neck stand up. I'm telling you, you don't know what I'm talking about. Just if you're like, look, dude, I'm not reading the books. There's movies, okay? So... <laughs> Just go watch the movie for the love of all things holy, okay? It's awesome. When you see that part, you remember me, okay? Because you're going to be, if you love Jesus and you get what's happening there, you're going to be like, mm, what? come on now. It's awesome. All right. Now, <laughs> in, this, in this scenario here in Mark 7, Jesus didn't roar, but he did smack them back. Right, So the Pharisees come, they, they question Jesus, and I explain to you what they're, you know, why their phylacteries are in a bunch, okay? So what is Jesus' response? Well, first of all, he just goes straight to quoting the prophet Isaiah, okay? He, so he's, this ain't, this, he did everything but roar because he says, this people, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, okay? So Isaiah was talking about you, boys. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So just this will help us balance out. Why are we in the book of Mark? Told you from the beginning, we're here to make sure we have an accurate picture of who Jesus is because there's a lot of pseudo-Jesuses running around out there in the imaginations of people 
And that's really a problem, right? Because we need to worship Jesus for who he really is. Jesus did invite little children to be near him. Jesus was gentle with sinners. Jesus was full of compassion and mercy. But sometimes Jesus would say, Isaiah was right about you, you hypocrites. Right? And remember, that's the kind of sermon we're in today, okay? So I'm just trying to line you up so you know what's about to happen. Amen. Everyone should leave offended or hurt or upset today. That's the hope, okay? Amen. Is he serious? Yeah, <laughs> I really am. Yep, absolutely. It's good for us. These guys, these guys, these guys were not happy. Um, but that was really God's mercy to them, right? That's they, they needed the truth, man. They didn't have it. Okay. Uh, so he basically throws back on them, you know, Isaiah... Isaiah was talking about you, and then, and then he lays out this idea of, uh, it gives them an example, okay? You guys are being hypocrites, and here's an example of how you do that, because that could be confusing for us. So he starts talking about, you know, you, you guys say that you can, you can take what you should have used to honor your father and mother, and you can, you can put that, give that to God, and then say, well, sorry, I don't have anything. So what does all that mean? Well, there was a clear command in the law that we should honor our father and mother, right? And so, you know, <laughs> when, when kids are little, oftentimes we talk about that in terms of like not talking back and, you know, them eyes better not roll back in that head again or else, you know, all that type of stuff. And, and maybe, maybe some of that's in there, but this honor word, and you'll see it throughout the scriptures, really has a financial component to it, that what we should do is make sure our parents are taken care of uh, when they get to the point where they can't take care of themselves. And so, that's, that's part of what is being talked about here. But what these guys were teaching is, well, what you would use to honor your father and mother, you can you could put that in, into the temple treasury and say it's for God, and then you're kind of out of the need to do that. Well, that was a bit self-serving, because where do you think the money for the Pharisees to live came from? The temple treasury, right? And so Jesus is like, ah, 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 that sounds very spiritual. That sounds very godly. You guys are being snakes, man. You're being hypocrites. And what you're doing is elevate. Here's, the, here's Jesus' big issue. And this should be an issue for you. You're elevating this oral tradition that you've brought in above the word of God. You can't do that. You can't do that. That is the biggest issue here. That is what Jesus is coming against. Okay? So, then... Then he begins to lay out, all right, so that, there's the problem, right? And, and, and goes into further explanation and then, and then application. So verses uh, 14 through 23. My question to you is, how did Jesus, you know, there's lots of ways we could think maybe to, to push back against this problem of, you know, works-based righteousness and, and, and that works-based righteousness leading to a sense of superiority, right? That's really where these Pharisees were at. They felt like they were better than the disciples and, and better than others, really. Uh, you know, Mark makes a point here to, there's, there's a parentheses where he makes an explanation. He says, you know, they had all these traditions, and if they went into the marketplace, there's no way they were going to come back and eat something without washing up first. Well, what did that, why was that? Well, that was because when they went in the marketplace, they came in contact with all these unholy people. And in their mind, Gentiles, that, that being a major issue, right? So there's, there's a, an ethnic component here. 
They're feeling better for all kinds of reasons, right? Not just their own personal holiness and adherence to this oral tradition that was built on top of the Word of God, but also in what the fact that they wash their hands and these other people don't, what that meant. You guys seeing the problem? There's a lot of problems, but those are some of the problems. How did Jesus come against this works-based righteousness that led to a sense of moral superiority? What did he do? Well, I'm going to submit to you that he preaches the gospel. (laughs) Big surprise, right? He preaches the gospel. Jesus smashed the false belief that still retains a stranglehold on many today, both inside and outside the church, that people at their core are basically good. Hear that again, because I'm serious about this being inside the church. There is a lie, and it keeps a stranglehold on a lot of people, and it affects the way you see the world and the way you interpret what's going on around you. That belief, which is a lie, is that people are basically good. I'm expecting, unfortunately, a fair percentage of the room and anybody that might be joining us on the live stream is offended by that idea right there. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean? Are you saying I'm not a good person? Yep. That is what I'm saying. What's up? Right? So, well, where do I get that? What is Jesus going to teach? He's got, guys, listen, it's not what comes from outside that defiles the man, it's what's inside. What is it? And then he's like, you know, and then the disciples didn't get it. That was kind of his first, his first run at it. And then his disciples are like, uh, Jesus, what did that, it kind of sounded like what you were saying is that People, like, in their nature are evil. So what, Lord, what were you really saying there? And what was Jesus' response? Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. You know, Jesus is making bathroom jokes here to make his point. And, and in that, he declared all foods clean, right there, in the book of Mark, right? Here's what's interesting about that. And here's how we need to, I want you to understand how strong of a stranglehold these types of oral traditions, these type, and, and maybe it's not something passed down from your grandparents to your parents to you, so don't put it in that box, but it's, it's stuff we believe that's contrary to the Word of God that we lift up to the level of the Word of God. We've got a lot of these, and they oftentimes, we, we, we just, Jesus could be this plain in saying, right here, right here, what he just said, it's not what you take in, it's what comes out that that is going to make you unclean. And in so doing, Mark puts in parentheses, thus he declared all foods clean. It's, the book, it's halfway through the book of Acts almost before Peter ends up having to have another vision in order to understand this very point, right? Because the, the sheet comes down with all the animals. God says, get up, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, I would never, I would never eat. I've never done it. Touch an unclean thing. That's way after the fact of this. And what does that tell you? That even Peter, the leader of the disciples, didn't get this the first time he heard it. That this stuff is so entrenched and entwined in our thinking that it takes a, a, it takes a really humble but intentional inward look to be able to spot it and deal with it and let the Word of God bring an answer to it. Okay? So, what does he say? It, it's... That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles, I'm in verse 20, that's what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, 
precede evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Okay? Jesus smashed the false belief that at our core we're basically good. Paul picked up on this idea. In case Jesus wasn't clear enough, Paul explains it more in the book of Romans, starting, uh, this is chapter 3, starting in verse 9. Uh, it says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. So when he says, are we better than they, Paul is including himself in the, the box of the Jews. So are the Jews better? He says, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Okay? As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What are we doing here? We're establishing that the written word of God has an idea about humanity and what our condition is. And before any of the rest of what we're going to talk about makes any sense or is going to matter to you at all, you're going to have to decide where you stand on that. Is God and his word correct about the human condition, or are all of our modern ideas about it correct? Are people broken in sin? Are people ultimately at their core sinful? Separated from God because of that. Or at their core, are they good? And here, just in case you thought I was stretching for it earlier, did you hear when Paul's talking about this, what he was coming against? What he was coming against as he laid out this set of verses? What he was coming against was a sense of ethnic superiority or concerned by the other... This, the book of Romans is written to the Romans. who Are, are they Jews or are they Gentiles primarily? They're Gentiles, right? So what does he want to make sure they know? That from God's point of view, there is, ethnics, the, the issue of sinfulness has nothing to do with ethnicity. Right? Who was under sin, according to Paul, Romans 3? Everybody. Jews and Greeks and all of them. Amen? Amen. I know, it's, I know that's like, it's kind of a bummer place to say amen, but it's a, it's a good one too, Right? That we're not dealing with a God, we're not dealing with a racist God here. Is that good? That's good. It's pretty good. <laughs> good news. Okay. And part of why these washings were so important to strictly observant Jews was that it separated them from the Gentiles and it made them feel superior. You know that because Mark specifically talks about the marketplace and how that whole idea of when they're they're around non-Jews, that they, ooh, I'm dirty now. It's it's why you had. You had a priest going around the guy in the story of the Good Samaritan and not stopping to touch him. They didn't want to be unclean, right? False sense of superiority based on what? Based on ethnicity. <clears throat> and here's what we need to see in what Paul says and what 
you know, it said, it said here in Romans, it said in Ephesians, when it talks about the dividing wall that men tend to put up, right, between, between ourselves, that that's been torn down by the gospel. What is the point? The point we need to see is that in God picking Israel through Abraham originally, that him picking Israel, it wasn't ethnic favoritism on God's part. It was a part of his plan to restore all people to himself, right? Somebody had to believe God, <laughs> Somebody had to believe God and trust him so that there could be a people that God would be able to use through, and through that line for, to bring a savior into the world, right? Somebody had to be crazy enough to believe this one God when he said, you know, said to Abraham, leave everything, go to the place I'm going to show you. When he said to Abraham, take that one and only son that I gave you in your old age and march him up that mountain and sacrifice him to me. Somebody had to believe God. And that was Abraham. And that's what started the, you know, the nation of Israel. So it, that wasn't ethnic favoritism on God's part. It had to do with the faith of Abraham, but also the overall plan of restoration. God's plan was never just to save Israel. We understand that, right? God's plan from the very beginning was always to bring Jesus into the world to save who? Everybody, right? To save everyone who would come to him by faith. Amen. This is more important than you're acting like it is. Come on now. Amen. And, and this is why <clears throat> in some of the current cultural landscape and issues that are being discussed around us, this is why I, I, I want to humbly submit the idea that those who are saying that, we, we just, that just preaching the gospel is an insufficient answer to what we're dealing with, I would say that in, in that claim they are right and and wrong. And what do I mean when I say that? Well, if what you mean by saying we can't just preach the gospel to answer the issues that we're dealing with in our day, if what you mean by that is we can't just preach the gospel, but we must also live the gospel, then you're absolutely 100% right. I 100% agree with that. Get behind it and push. But if what you mean is that the gospel is insufficient to answer the issues of our day, then I stand in stark opposition to that position. Because I propose it's the only shot we have to even understand what we're talking about. Starting with the human condition and how we get to the problems we're dealing with today. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if you start from everyone's basically good, boy, you're going to end up with some different conclusions than we all need to come and realize we are equally condemned before God by our sin and thus equally in need of a Savior in Christ. And how do you get, how do you get to where you're not overcome by all that stuff that comes out of our hearts, fornications and thefts and murders and adulteries and deeds of coveting and wickedness as well as deceit, sensuality, slander, pride and foolishness. How, does, how do we deal with the reality of that in our world? How do we deal with the reality of that in us? What is the real answer to that? What's going what's to move the needle on that? Is, is it behavior modification? No, man. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of God changing us. It's the gospel that's what's going to make a difference. But you can't even get to the gospel if you stand over here at all people are basically good. You can't even come to God and receive the good news of the gospel if you're not willing to let the bad news of the gospel, which is what Jesus 
cracks back the Pharisees and their self-righteous ethnic superiority and their, their, their holiness based on their own rules that they drew up, that's what he backhands them with and says, hold on. You and them are all the same. The evil in this world and, and the problems of sin, they come from within. They're coming from within everybody. Playing field leveled. Amen. Even though that's the bad news part of the gospel, that's, that's still good news, man, if you know how to think about it, right? We're all standing in the same spot. Praise God that that's the reality we're dealing with. But here's my question to you. Are, are, we, are we actually still struggling with these kind of issues today that we see unfold in Mark 7? Or is this just an ancient debate that we can observe and we get to scoff at because of how foolish they are? Right? Have we graduated in our cultural evolution beyond this kind of stupidity? Is that where we find ourselves today? Is this just an exercise in more of a historical observation than it is something that should have practical application to us in the here and now? Do we have perhaps our own oral traditions that are, are rising above the law of God and dictating the way we think to a greater degree than the word of God does? Anybody think of any examples? Anybody got, anybody got one that, that you're willing to shout out loud? I have one. I don't need, this isn't where I like, you know, ran out of time writing the sermon, so I'm like, ooh, I hope they know. I got something, but anybody think of anything? Oral traditions, things we've come to believe that are contrary to God's word, but yet it's dictating the way we think about people, think about ourselves. Okay, I know it's, it's terrifying when I do that to you. And I know that most of the time you're not going to, but I just want to always open it up. Hey, maybe somebody's like, you know what? I got a great, yes, it might happen one day. I don't know. Okay. Here's one. Here's an oral tradition. Here's, here's a belief that I think is grabbing a hold of us, rising above what the word of God says about it. The idea that you can't be a Christian if you vote for blank. Uh-oh. I don't know how someone could be a Christian and vote blank, whether it's for a person or a party. That's, I'm seeing a lot of that. Are you seeing a lot of that? I hope to God, if you're a part of this church, you're not saying it. But I'm seeing a lot of it. I'm hearing that a lot, that people really actually, that this tradition somehow, this oral tradition that political affiliation is how we determine who is and isn't a believer. People, people are really believing that. And here's what's real concerning about it. If, if you got people saying you can't be a Christian if you vote for whoever, that I'm seeing, I'm seeing, you know, we whatever you think about this, we, we live in kind of a, a binary political situation. So you got people on both sides of the aisle saying that. I'm seeing it from both sides. You can't be a Christian if. There's no way you could be a Christian and vote that way. No, there's no way you could be a Christian and vote that way. Well, I don't know. I mean, <clears throat> I know like the rules of logic are even in question today. <laughs> but that can't be right. <laughs> right? That can't be true. If you're standing on both sides of the thing saying that, pointing back and forth at each other, that can't eat, that's like, what? That can't be true. Or you got this other fun one. 
uh, uh, well, uh, if you're a Christian, you should know a third party vote is basically a vote for fill in the blank. And it's, you know, when someone says that, it's the opposite person of the person that they're hoping will win. Okay? Now, let's just apply basic logic rules to that, right? Like, two things can't be opposite. You can't say that two opposite things that are exactly in opposition to each other are both true. One's got to be true, or neither of them are true, right? They can't both be true. Have I lost my mind here? Is that still basic logic, right? Like, that that doesn't seem too complicated to me. So, (laughs) no, that doesn't mean that. And if you're, if what you're summarizing from all of that, are you saying, okay, so I think he's finally done it. I think he's told us who to vote for. Are you saying to vote third party, Pastor Vince? Is that what you're saying? <clears throat> I mean, how, how, how long must I be with you, right? Like that's, <laughs> uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is, Let the written word of God determine your view of the world and vote based on your conscience that is informed by the word of God. I said the word of God twice there. Did you catch that? That was the Oreo cookie with the cream in the middle, but the whole thing is started and stopped with this idea. The word of God has to inform your conscience. And here's an even wilder idea. Let everyone else do the same thing. Amen. Thank you. And trust God and his sovereignty to move upon people's hearts and to work all things for the good of those who love him. Stop buying into the idea that if the political person that that you think is, you know, a pseudo-savior doesn't get in, that all the world is going to crumble into dust. All the world's only going to crumble into dust if God says it's time for the whole world to crumble into dust. You understand that, right? There's a king in the picture here who is above all the nations, whose throne is above all the thrones. You guys remember him? His name is Jesus. Amen. That's the, that's the first oral tradition I see rising above the law of God. The second I'm going to point out to you is, is this idea of, of separating people into groups of the oppressed and oppressors and often making ethnicity the place where we draw the lines. Now, hold on with me. This is the part where I know I've got some people's attention, right? And if you have a shiv, you might be reaching for it. Give me a second. Just give me a second. That, think with me. Think with me. What I just said, separating people into groups of the oppressed and oppressors and making ethnicity the place where we draw those lines, it only works if we believe the man-made philosophy that people are good until some outside stimulus pushes them towards being bad. Are you with me? You can only do that, separate people into those groups, if what you believe is to begin with where it all started was everyone was good, and then it was outside forces that shaped whether they're then good or bad. It's the only way you can categorize people that way, which is in direct opposition to what the Word of God teaches the condition of man is. Okay? Self-righteousness coming from a sense of ethnic superiority is disgusting to God. Can you say amen to that? Self-righteousness coming from a sense of ethnic superiority is disgusting to God. 
And it doesn't matter if that sense of self-righteousness and superiority comes from the position of an oppressor or from the position of the oppressed. Now, I realize, I realize all of the danger I'm in as a hetero white man standing here saying what I just said. If you don't like that I said it, I would encourage you. I remember a few weeks ago, it blew my mind, and I'm not even sure I connected all these dots. Brother Steve Smith stood up here with another brother here from the church, and we talked about their past, and we talked about how you know, basically our culture thinks they should hate each other, but they don't. They love each other and serve together doing ministry because of the gospel. Amen, right? And I remember something Brother Steve said. It just smacked me like a ton of bricks because Brother Steve's past as he was, you know, in the drug game and all that stuff, and, and this other brother that's a part of the church, he's in law enforcement, and, and Brother Steve standing over here on this side, so I said, did, did you, would you have hated him beforehand? He said, yeah, I would have hated him, and I thought I was better than him. Really? You, so so you, can be on the, this, you can be on that side and feel like you're better than, than even the ones who are claiming a, a place of superiority and being on the side of the oppressor. You can. What does this all have to do? It has to do with the heart. That's what Jesus brought it down to. Every single one of us, man, we have these evil propensities in our heart. It's going to manifest in different ways. It's going to come out in different ways, but that's where it's coming from, and that's where we need to look for the problem. We need the bad news of the gospel to see the world and ourselves correctly. We need the bad news of the gospel to see the world and ourselves correctly. Which is why that's where Jesus went. He preached the bad news of the gospel when these Pharisees popped up saying, hold on, why aren't they washing their hands like they're supposed to? Our sin is not the result of temptation or trauma or tragedy. Those things work to aggravate and reveal the sinfulness that lurks inside our own hearts and minds. I realize how different that is than what many of you may believe. I'm just, I'm just asking you to consider what Jesus said here and see if you can come to a different conclusion. What did Jesus say? That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. That's what Jesus said about it. I realize you may have deeply entrenched oral tradition that causes you to see the world and yourself a different way, but so did these guys. And what did Jesus do? Well, told them the truth about themselves. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Our sin is not the result of temptation or trauma or tragedy. Those things work to aggravate and reveal the sinfulness that lurks inside our own hearts and minds. So we need the bad news of the gospel, but we also need the good news of the gospel so that we don't melt into a puddle of despair as we see the truth about ourselves. Because that's very hard that's a very hard thing to grab a hold of. If what I've believed my whole life is most of my problems, whatever behaviors I don't like about myself, whatever behaviors I don't think line up with God's uh, 
law and walking in love and all of that, all the things that, 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 that you know, manifest with me, that's all the, you know, I'm going to go a, you know, kind of a Freudian route of I need to reach back into history and find all the pain points. And if I can find the pain points, then, I, then I'll know, well, it was that that, I mean, I'm not against that. Maybe, maybe look into the pain points and that, that could be revealing. But what we're looking for it to reveal is not that, oh, it's, it's that thing that, that now makes me like this. That thing either aggravated or revealed something that was hiding inside of me. So what I don't get to do is still throw and push blame off over onto something or someone else. I know that's hard to let go of because many of you, like the Pharisees for a long time, your sense of self-righteousness has come through blame shifting. Your sense of self-righteousness and the fact that you were okay with all the things that you know in you and that come out of you that don't line up with the word of God and what he's called us to You've been able to say, well, that's the result of this, so that's the result of that. And for me to come and to launch a full frontal assault on that idea, I realize is jarring. It was jarring for these guys too. But again, it was loving. Because having a frame of reference that lines up with the creator of the universe is going to put you in a better position than whatever we've come up with, whatever man-made philosophies we've spun up. Our oral traditions. And it's interesting, you know, some, sometimes, you know, especially the part where I'm talking about you, whether you're oppressor or oppressed, you need, you, you need this bad news and this good news of the gospel. <clears throat> and I'm also saying that you can't even, you know, we can't even really make those distinctions without buying into a false narrative. But that's, that's neither here nor there in what I'm about to say. What I'm about to say is it's interesting when we look at Paul's words to the Romans and Mark's explanation of Jewish customs. When, when we look at the book of Mark, it, it's important to think, okay, who is the audience? And the audience, we find out and we can see who the audience is through context clues. Because why did Paul stop and put in parentheses, the Jews had many... Uh, traditions like this, where they washed their pots and they walked, did the, why, why is there that explanation thing in there? What's the, what, if, it was, if he was writing to Jews, the Jews know that. And we, part of what we see here is the brilliance of God and having different gospel writers record what Jesus taught and did because Mark is writing to Roman and Gentile audiences. He's explaining Jewish customs to them so they can understand what the Jews, what the Pharisees were upset about and they could understand what Jesus was actually bringing an answer to. And what is the, why is that significant? And why is it significant that, that Paul in Romans 3, where I read you, so are we better than you? No, all Jews and Greeks, everybody's under sin. Why is that significant? It's significant because, though maybe unpopular, the idea, what did, what did Mark and what did Paul think the message needed to be to the Romans. Who were the, who were the Romans in this whole scenario? Oppressed or oppressor? They, they were the oppressors. So what, did they, what message did they send to them? The gospel? The good news about Jesus? The bad news that all of us are sinners and the good news that Christ came to save us? The gospel. Again, we see it. How did, how did Paul and Mark and all the rest of 
Christ followers think that those who were being oppressed should be dealt with. The gospel. Would they give the Jews? Would they give the rest of those who were held down by Roman oppression at the time? They gave them the same gospel they gave to the ones that were doing the holding down. That's what they thought the answer was. I believe it is too. I believe it is too. We can embrace this truth and then instead of searching for someone or something else to blame, we can begin to really let the word of God be a mirror which judges us and and a sword which cuts us and takes out the infection within. And when I say that we can embrace this truth instead of searching for something or, or someone else to blame, that, that, that position of, of just perpetually searching for something or someone else to blame, that, that is a never-ending and exhausting rabbit hole, and it, it leads to hell, man. Why am I saying that? Why, am I, why does it sound like I'm being so harsh there? Because there's, there's just no wiggle room to not be with that. Because you cannot accept the gospel. You cannot believe the gospel if you spend your entire life looking for something or someone else to blame. What did Jesus say? He, he, he made a big old list. The point being, <laughs> we can find ourselves all through here, Right? What evil proceeds from the heart of men? Where does it come from? Evil thoughts, fornications, evil thoughts. He starts with evil thoughts. What I'm saying is if you read the list in Mark 7 and you think, yeah, no, I'm good. None of those, I, I, yep. None of those are me. <laughs> he started with evil thoughts. Are you sure? Are you sure? I don't know. Evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. If we can embrace the truth that the problem is me, if I can, if I can grab that and, 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 and let it hit me the way it needs to hit me, then it will put me in the one place where I can actually then receive the good news of the gospel. That I need Jesus. That I am not righteous on my own. That I am broken deep all the way down to the core. And the only surgeon that can get in there and fix what's wrong with me is the great physician. And his name is Jesus. And if, and if you take that idea at the individual level and then push it out into the world, that it, that is what we need to happen. <laughs> More people understanding the actual problem and the actual solution. You know, I was, I was worried a little bit. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> We're just, look guys, <clears throat> I know we've talked a lot over the last several months about the fact that Christians should not be dividing o- over politics. I know that we beat that drum to death. I know we've been talking about 
ethnicity issues and all of that struggle a lot lately. But, but if, just keep in mind, if you think, man, he's just, he's just getting all real focused on this one issue. All we're doing is going through the book of Mark, verse by verse. Do, did I stretch here? Ask, ask yourself this question. For this, to, for this to bring up what we're bringing up, is it a stretch? <laughs> that the Pharisees are all hyped up about all this washing and that that washing sets them apart as holier than everybody else because of their ethnic connection to Israel and their, the, the thought that they think they're, they're God's special people just because that was all God was doing, that they didn't understand that the reason God called Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the reason why he had Joseph in Egypt and the reason why he called Moses the Jew to rescue those people out of Israel and called Joshua to go and conquer the promised land and why he did all the rest of what he did through all he did it through was for one reason. The reason why David was crowned king and the reason why all those genealogies as they continue, the reason why Boaz got married to who he got married to, the reason why all those things happened, the reason why all the Old Testament history was there was for this one purpose, so that Jesus Christ, the Savior King, the Messiah, could be born to a virgin in Bethlehem and so that he could live a perfect life, die in our place for our sins, and then rise from the grave so that the good news of the gospel could go from Israel to the ends of the earth. That's what God was always doing. It's what he's doing today. And now we stand in a a privileged place of having all of that spelled out for us, along with a commission to go and to share that good news with as many people as possible. We have all of this spelled out for us. We don't just have what the disciples had up until this point where Mark 7 lays out, where they see Jesus smack back these Pharisees and what they should have understood by that. We got, we got much more than that. We, we, not only do we have the rest of the story of the gospel, we got the book of Acts, we got, we got the benefit of Paul then expounding on these things even more throughout Romans. We get Romans 3 so that we can understand. It's the, what we're looking at here in Mark 7, it's not just a one-off thing. Jesus wasn't just having a bad day today and said, you know what, I'm sick of these Pharisees, I'm about to put it on them. What we see happening here in Mark 7 is the result of this overarching truth, this reality, that the gospel has always been God's main focus. The gospel is God's answer for the brokenness in the world in all of its manifestations. At your personal level and in the world broadly. We can embrace the reality of our brokenness when we, when we take these things in and we truly let it have its effect upon us. We can embrace the reality of our brokenness, but also yield ourselves to the process of God patiently and lovingly rebuilding us into his image. We can embrace our brokenness, but then yield ourselves to the process of God rebuilding us. And when we believe that this, that process is what we truly need and what others truly need, then we can walk in the summary of God's written law. What is the summary of God's written law? To love God and to love others. Instead of ignoring God and incriminating others. Because that's often where we end up landing. 
And hopefully what I've shown you today is it, it doesn't matter where you see yourself in our oral tradition, socio-paradigm that we've all built up here. It doesn't matter where you think you stand on that. This is what you need. And this is what I need. This is what we need. And I want to spend the rest of my life trying to learn how and walk out this, this one thing, to love God and to love you. To love God and to love others. Instead of ignoring what God has said plainly and constantly walking around incriminating others, hoping it'll make me feel righteous enough to be accepted by God, only to find out on that great and glorious day I stand before him that I missed the whole point. Jesus is the point. His gospel is the point. May we believe and live these truths for God's glory and our good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your word that is true. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, we, get, we get a full glimpse of, of who you are, the range of your emotions as God become a man, that you are gentle and lowly in heart, that you invite the weary to come to you and to find rest. And yet at the very same time, you will come with straightforward boldness after our sense of self-righteousness. And you will cut us. And you will deal with us. And you will not let us live in that foolishness. Thank you that you are loving and bold. That you're a truth teller. Thank you. Thank you for your word. God, please forgive us for every place we've lifted our own traditions and our own thinking above the truth of your word. And God, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit. We stand in humble recognition today that there are things woven into our belief systems, oral traditions like the Pharisees had that we're not even aware of. These men thought that they were, at least at one level, that they were representing your desires. And they had gotten so far off, Lord. We know that we are not impervious to that kind of deception, and so we're asking for the help of your Holy Spirit to sort that, to be open and humble, and to be willing to, to look inside, to judge our thoughts, to take every thought captive that is contrary to your word, to cast those down. And even when it's painful, even when it means maybe I've been walking a certain way and thinking a certain way for a long time, even if, if, if what it means for my thoughts to come into conformity with your word, that I have to let go of something I've thought or believed or done for a long time, God, may it be so. Please grant us your strength in your grace to do that. We don't want to live shackled to foolish ideologies and falsehoods. We want to walk in your truth. Please help us, Lord. Not only to judge ourselves in this way, to look at ourselves in this way, but let this lens help us to see the world around us accurately, the way you see it, to address problems of sin with the only true antidote, that being the hope of your gospel and the freedom that it brings for us to stop needing to clamor to try to establish our own self-righteousness, however we do that, because all of the ways other all of the ways we try to gain righteousness other than by grace through faith in Christ are utter foolishness. And yet, God, we are, we are so often pulled back into those traps. Lord, may we rest and be whole in the truth that you have received us and accept us. 
and made us yours by faith. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for showing us what love is and for calling us, for calling us to walk in that love as well. Because what you've done, Lord, in your great wisdom is you've given us a bar to to shoot for that means we never get to just sit back on our laurels and, and think that we've arrived. Because God, love is such a high demand that we can spend all of our lives seeking to walk that out and never exhaust it, never fully reach it. Thank you for purpose and a mission in this world. Thank you for love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.